you know, we have the ability to fragment, and I think it's up to us to overcome the fact that we're fragmented and to look for common ground and strategies for resolving the fragmentation. Hey, this is Nick, and this is Bike Talk with Stephen Box. Hey, Nick. Hey. Good to see you again. Yeah, good to see you. Thanks Here for coming. Yeah. KPFK Studios, where we're uh, chilling the studios to uh, a nice, what, 52 degrees in here? I don't know. It's always cold. Sorry. <laughs> it's warm on my side, if that makes you feel better. Oh, I feel better just watching you in there. Warm. So, Nick, uh, here we are at uh, Bike Talk on a Friday evening, and uh, I was telling you about a... Um, conversation that took place a couple of months ago. I have lunch on a somewhat regular basis with, um, you know, some folks that work for the Southern California Association of Governments, known as SCAG, SCAG. and uh, the California Department of Transportation, known as Caltrans, and also uh, the city of LA's um, Department of Transportation, also known as LADOT. And um, it was in... uh, it was one of, we were having lunch, and the, the, the topic came up, where are all the activists? And this was um, one of the uh, folks that, you know, works as a transportation engineer uh, on human or active transportation. In other words, facilitating projects that, um, you know, like Safe Routes of School and um, uh, the Vision Zero improvements that you'll see around the city of L.A. And in other words, uh, facility design and engineering and uh, implementation that facilitates uh, active transportation. And uh, the the simple question was, you know, where are all the activists? And I think that we touched on this in prior conversations, the relationship between activists and policymakers and neighborhood councils but this particular um, conversation kind of reaffirmed that the folks that do the work, building our streets, designing our streets, planning our streets, maintaining our streets, the folks that do the work need our help. They need the community support. And uh, it was interesting that they brought this up because, you know, for, for lots of the activist community, you know, a lot of time has gone by. A lot of change has taken place. But for a lot of folks that do the work year in, year out, they've kind of watched the seasons of the act advocates or activists in the city of L.A. Um, transition. And uh, so it was an interesting question. And that was a couple of months ago. Um, and it did, it did prompt me to look back and realize that one thing we didn't do well over the last decade or decade and a half was mentor the next generation of um, advocates because the fact of the matter is a lot of folks have moved on for many different reasons, but the fact of the matter is we're all on a journey and the journey is not always going to keep us in the same place at the same time doing the same thing for the same reasons. And so there's been a bit bit of an ebb and flow, one might suggest, in looking back. And this uh, was echoed on Facebook the other day uh, with a thread that um, you kind of went through with a fine-tooth comb. Yeah. I think there were about 60 comments along the line. What was the opening uh, question? All right. The opening question was, scroll to the top, why did L.A. bike advocacy start to wither around 2014 and now is largely dormant while bike advocacy in the Bay Area and New York seems stronger than ever? 
So I guess there's two presumptions there. Uh, the first one is that it withered, and the second one is that, by contrast, other cities are blossoming. And so if we just go ahead and accept those presumptions and move forward, what were some of the uh, theories offered up? The last one I can start with first, a general disillusionment with L.A.'s administration and the self-congratulatory practices of some local advocacy groups, otherwise Malays. I don't know how to respond to that other than to say, I think there's a common approach to things, which is to be a victim or a hero, but never to accept responsibility for being the villain. In this particular case, to say that someone else is responsible for our Malays presuming, of course, that we are experiencing Malays. But to put it on other people, I think, is perhaps beneath us. Finger-pointing. As activists and advocates, it's our objective, it's our desire, it's our responsibility to be effective. And if we're not effective, I think that we should be looking at ourselves, not at, you know, the institution of the city of Los Angeles or the county of Los Angeles or Caltrans, the state of California or the federal government or the world or the universe or, you know, I think it's beneath us as... Okay, well, here's three others. Yeah. LA is fragmented, like the communities are fragmented and it's, I guess, other institutions are fragmented. Bike advocates are getting married, uh, getting older, starting families. And someone said the decline of streets focused journalism. All right. First one was... Fragmented. Um, yeah. Well, that didn't happen just recently. L.A. has always been L.A. Right. And uh, life as we know it is fragmented. You know, I think that it's inherent in the human condition. I read a book called Hajj by Leon Uris, and it, was, it had an interesting Arabic quote, which is, you know, my people against your people, my village against your village, my family against your family, me against my brother. Mm-hmm. That conflict is inherent in the human condition, as is the ability to rise Uh, above conflict and to resolve conflict, and that's part of the human condition. But we do have inherent in our uh, behavior and and our uh, strategies for communicating and and, um, cooperating and forming community and relationships and bonding. You know, we have the ability to fragment, and I think it's up to us, again, to overcome the fact that we're fragmented and to look for common ground and strategies for resolving the fragmentation. You know, even in engineering, there's a strategy for looking at streets as zippers, um, in other words, that bring communities together. And when you look at street design, you know, we use different metaphors. We love plumbing metaphors for traffic, which is appropriate because um, I think it's Eric Knutson that refers to them as traffic sewers. You know, uh, if we're going to use streets, if we use that metaphor... But, you know, another approach is to look at um, streets as opportunities to bring people together. And in this particular case, you know, uh, street advocacy could be an opportunity to bring people together. Public space that um, actually unites rather than allows us to be fragmented. So to say the fact that it's a large county, it's the largest county in the United States of America, um, you know, in Caltrans, District 7 is two counties, and the Southern, Calif- uh, Southern California Association of Governments is Southern California. You know, so um, I think it's, it's true that it's a big place and that there's lots of communities. But what would a strategy be? And I think that's where as advocates and as leaders, you know, we could look at a strategy for um, working local and then working to unite those local issues, um, uh, those local communities, 
and to overcome the fact that we're fragmented, to find the common ground. And so I think that when you talk about fragmentation, I think it's the advocacy community that's fragmented, not the lay of the land. Um, Okay, well, how about that then? Okay. Like, why is our advocacy community fragmented? If if we're taking the the starting point of this thread, t- just as uh, you know, on its face, being we're going to go with it. Why is ours more fragmented than New York or San Francisco? Well, I don't know about New York and San Francisco, so I don't have. Um, I'll have to just accept either. the fact that somebody started this thread uh, posing the notion that other communities are Seven. tighter. Um, with regards to advocacy. We can look at the differences. Uh, For example, I know that San Francisco has a pretty strong um, advocacy training program. And if you look at other advocacy groups in the city of L.A., you know, for example, Liberty Hill, which has done some significant work um, bringing together the sustainability uh, community with regards to unifying the, the advocates. And they do provide some support, some training um, some professional skills so that um, they stand a better chance of working together successfully and cohesively and in a way that's rewarding and meaningful, you know, with, with meaningful outcomes. You know, USC has a program over at Annenberg, the um, Alchemy Institute, and that's for nonprofit organizations. So significant professional training is being provided in, you know, in different arenas for nonprofit organizations, for advocacy organizations, um, for activists. And this is not new. I mean, I think that um, Alex Thompson gave me, you know, early on when we first started working together, he gave me a copy of Saul Alinsky's Rules for Radicals. And um, I guess that was my first 101 class. But I think that one thing that our advocacy community in the city of L.A. could do better would be to um, engage in some significant professional caliber quality uh, mentoring and training for not just for um, uh, nonprofit organizations and advocacy organizations, but for folks, just folks on the street that are going to end up advocating for Rowena or Temple or Sunset um, you know, or, or Figueroa. In other words, the people that are actually going to be riding, walking, supporting, advocating, cleaning, you know, that are going to actually, that have ownership on that particular street, how can we best support them um, with, uh, with training, with, uh, with, with mentorship, with tools, with skills, with strategies, with organization that'll stay long after the um, the organization the, the the organizational leaders have left. I was trying to focus on the problem. Mm-hmm. You're talking about solutions. Oh, sorry. So, at, so you, th- okay? What was the problem that you're focusing on? Oh, uh, that. I mean, I'm I'm sort of trying to. I'm sure I'm sort of being half half kidding because, of course, when somebody talks about solutions, that's great. But um, you're pointing to the to the ways that we're not that that bike advocacy is vital here well no i'm just uh what i was contrasting there was that in san francisco they have a very there there san francisco's uh advocacy community is embedded for starters so um they they've been embedded in local government for 
for two decades. Um, so they have a head start on us, I think, in terms of just um, a symbiotic relationship with those that are implementing uh, policymakers. The second thing is they have a f- very significant um, training program for advocacy. I think that in the city of LA, you know, we have uh, some very significant, um, so, so that's a contrast. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I don't know about New York. Um, I do know some folks from New York and some programming from New York. But to generalize, why are they doing better than us? I don't know. I don't even know if it's a fair generalization. What I do know is this. Um, we've probably meandered over the last decade. Uh, and I say that um, because we're either, um, as an advocacy community, we're either uh, significantly um, larger in size than we were a decade ago, we're either or not, we're either significantly more unified than we were a decade ago or we're not. And there I think the evidence would kind of say that we're not bigger and we're not unified. Um, so perhaps we haven't grown as an uh, advocacy community. What about the car culture of LA, then that it's different than the car culture of San Francisco or New York City? Again, I don't, you know, I'm not dialed in with San Francisco and New York, so I can't really do a, contra- a compare and contrast. Or just well. the fact that we have these these anti road diet groups, for example. That well, even when you say anti road diet groups, that implies that there's at least two, Ugh. and I don't know if there are. What I do know is there's one, and so to give them any oxygen in the air, I think is a waste of oxygen. But um, I think that any decent movement in any way, shape, or form is going to have some resistance. Um, and in fact, uh, you know, resi- resistance to change is is a significant part of our personalities. Um, and a significant percentage of our population straight up just doesn't want change. Mm-hmm. And um, they just don't want change. They don't want anything, you know, different going on. And so, and then their immediate response is no. Um, so I think that there's a lot of resistance uh, and the bike community or the or the active transportation community is really challenging the status quo so much so that there are some that suggest that change is going to take place slowly as um, the implementers, if you will, you know, retire and move on um, because it's going to require a new generation, a new way of thinking with regards to engineering, planning, um, even the definitions and the terms we use, the science of, of transportation is changing. You know, from the from the the function of a street being the measurement of the number of cars to the function of a street being the measurement of the movement of people and the safety and comfort of people. And so those are those are significant changes that happen not in advocates' hearts or in the resistance of you know local communities, but with within the science, if you will, and the law and the process of transportation engineering planning funding because those those um, terms and those measurements and those definitions are embedded in the funding um, the the design uh, the the measurement of performance and so there's a whole lot of change I think that has to take place that's kind of not the you know critical mass we're traffic woo you know uh, front end of it but the back end of there's a whole lot of things that have to change really quietly and in, in a way that's kind of boring. So two things also. Uh, one is that uh, a few people brought up that bike advocates have not only gotten older, gotten families, but they've become professionals, 
professional advocates. And another one is that back in 2010, which I don't know if that would be the height of the bike boom or not, but they were going after the low-hanging fruit in the areas where people were more supportive of bike advocacy or safer streets or uh, the things that we were able to get. I think the uh, low-hanging fruit comment was made by somebody with regards to implementation of projects. In other words, um, and they were referring to the Villaragosa days when mileage was the objective, you know, getting some just straight up, just getting as many miles of bikeways facilities, you know, uh, implemented and that obviously, you know, you, I don't know if it's obvious, but yeah, knocking out the easy stuff, um, knocking out the things that were, uh, quick to implement, easy to implement could be done with a supportive community. Well, why not? And I, I, you know, it's a strategy and, um, and then, of course, things got get more difficult when you start um, as time goes by. And so things might slow down, but I don't know what that has to do with advocacy slowing down as much as just why are bikeways implementation slowing down. And, and perhaps, it, there, perhaps it's not just because it was low-hanging fruit. Perhaps bikeways, facilities, implementation requires advocates putting their shoulder behind it to make sure it moves through. Because keep in mind that, um, you know, in the state of California, water flows uphill. You know, water flows based on politics. Water flows based on activism. Water flows based on deals, you know. So it's not gravity, um, something so simple as which direction does water flow. So with regards to transportation engineering, it's not based on some, you know, altruistic um, uh, neutral science. It's based on politics. It's based on activism. It's based on who's putting their shoulder to it. So it's based on, um, you know, what what policy makers are uh, pushing it forward. And I think that, um, you know, it's up to the activists to get behind uh, Vision Zero, uh, Safe Streets, uh, People Streets, you know, any great streets, like any of the campaigns uh, or opportunities to really start moving, um, creating some movement, but also, you know, with regards to funding. Funding goes to projects with community support over projects with no community support. And so uh, there's a vital role as opposed to just saying things have slowed down because they're more difficult and it, you know, and not taking any responsibility for the fact that difficult things look easy when the community gets behind it and makes it make it happen. Well, the person who brought this thread up, Severin Martinez, and I think he's okay with us saying it because he then shared this event for this talk that we're having. Mm-hmm. Um, he has pointed out that there have been these bike booms and they've been recurring and they've happened forever. Uh, would you agree that there have been these bike booms? You know, 2005 was a great year. Mm-hmm. I feel like we're discussing wine now. I went to I. Martin to buy, I don't know, patch kit or a blinky mm-hmm. um and there was a uh, a little magazine put out for bike summer and that was probably one of the bikiest you know periods of my life and lars had a website called um bike boom right and uh, where he you know, anyone could post their events mm-hmm. and that summer um we went to a lot of nc and i went to a lot of events i mean there were things at breakfast. There were things in the day. There were things at night. We did a century ride um, that went all the way up uh, foothill through um, Sunland Tahunga, uh, the, the, the road that just never ends. 
Mm-hmm. And um, there were social events. There were progressive dinners. There were um, we, we enjoyed the community garden ride that ended up at the uh, South Central Gardens. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, the farm? South Central Farm, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tazo gave us a tour. Okay. Um Man, it was it was like it was amazing on so many levels. It was social, it was recreational, it was athletic. That was the I think they had the um, was it like the sixties? It was it was it was it was the summer of love. I'm telling you, it was uh, and it was a summer, and um, and that was an amazing time. There was a period of time when I remember um, Midnight Riders peaked, and it was like it was it it, it had gotten insanely huge. Mm-hmm. And I remember uh, Joe Linton seeing him on, at, you know, crouch down at an intersection counting. I guess he was picked because he's really good at counting fast. But uh-huh. he was, you know, just sitting there counting cyclists as they were just going through this intersection, and whatever the number was, and it was thousands, I don't know, or millions or gazillions. Wow, how could you even do that? How could you sit there and count? Like, because they don't go one one at a time. No. It was like, five or ten people in a row, like at a, a breast. Well, it's a skill. Yeah. And apparently he was designated counter. A lot of skills. Um, okay. <laughs> but I remember then, you know, that, that it dawned on me that it was really important. Some, someone thought it was really important to figure out how many were going through. And at a certain point, they decided to break it up. There was also Rydark. Remember Rydark? Yeah, the name. Mm-hmm. Um, Alex would, uh, Alex Amory would, uh, he's an architect. He would uh, do these architectural themed rides. So there was a lot of uh, rolling community uh, at a particular period of time when they just grew quickly, like just dynamically, Mm -hmm. um, abundantly. uh, And so... That was a bit of a boom. I guess that would maybe that's around ten. I don't, you know. So is it just sort of like asking why did the party end? But but does it? Is, first of all, should it should it continue? You know, like do we really need? Um, well, no, obviously not because that's not how parties are. There's right, and 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 or or any movement. There was a period of uh, time I remember this because uh, I think I wrote an article about this where we actually ended an, an event. And looked back and realized that we'd kind of become a movement. I don't remember the year, but there were some, you know, it wasn't all just fun rides. I think that um, we'd ridden to a few cities and actually prevailed. One of them was Pasadena, was on the second reading of an ordinance where they were going to limit cyclists, you know, in the streets around the Rose Bowl, et cetera, et cetera. And um, it was on the second reading, and cyclists had turned up, you know, from all over the city in mass. And, uh, you know, and, and then. You know, I think Dan Gutierrez was the one that pointed out, you know, CVC 21, that the city of Pasadena doesn't have the authority, flat out, straight up, to defy, or Trump, or or I don't use that word, that they don't have greater authority than the state of California when it comes to regulating cyclists on the streets. It's the law. Mm-hmm. But why would a cyclist have to stand up and tell the city attorney and the, and the city of Pasadena, sorry, you don't have the authority for this law? But at that point, around that period of time, where there were a lot of... Um, city council rides. There were a lot of, uh, you know, fight. Uh, there were a lot of Storm the Bastille rides. There were a lot of action rides. Uh, there were a lot of protest rides that were organized, and there were a lot of reactionary rides, you know, the die-in on Glendale Boulevard and the blood in at Beverly Hills. Blood in, blood out? No. I don't know. Blood ride. Um, to reactions to? Hit and runs or failure to enforce or 
you know, confrontations over incidents. Were they effective? Um, sure. You know, it's kind of like asking which which stroke of the hammer crushed the rock. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They they just continue to weaken and chip away, and they're not always effective. But the cumulative impact over a period of time is that something happens. What, what was the rock that was crushed? Well, I think that there was a great deal of resistance. First of all, cyclists didn't exist in terms of planning, in terms of um, uh, measurement. For example, Joe's the one counting. But now, you know, we're we're chipping away at things like, should we count other things on a street besides the movement of a vehicle? Mm-hmm. You know, should cyclists be able to park their bicycle? There's a whole lot of little things that really aren't little. Uh, for example, if you can't lock your bike up, you can't go places. If you can't cross the street, you can't go places. If uh, dollars are spent without consideration of all modes, then you don't get the support you need. So I think that um, I think that so so the, some of the things you just mentioned, those were some of the the victories. The, the there's money now that wasn't there. Well, there, I mean the the bike plan of 2010. Keep in mind that the 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 most significant and immediate impact of having a current bike plan is that you qualify for um, bicycle transportation account funding from the federal government. You qualify for uh, and we safe. We didn't ra- have hmm? that. We didn't have that before 2010. No, we had it, I mean, but it it has to be updated every, I don't know, decade or so. In other words, you have to have a current city council approved bike plan. You can't just. Uh, and then the projects that you that you seek funding for have to be part of that bike plan. So you can't just ask the federal government for a bucket of money and then what's it for? You know, for some stuff. So, you know, it has to be, there's some strategy and there's some structure to qualifying for funding. And then, of course, you know, you have to consider things like, you know, the engineering, which is what is it you've designed. And, of course, you know, does the police department, is there an, uh, an enforcement element, an encouragement element, et cetera? So there's these, you know, the five E's uh, that all go in there, and they have to be articulated clearly. And there's a cottage industry, if you will, of um, planning consultants that provide these services. And so the cycling community turned out in 2010, or, you know, previous prior to that, obviously, to say that what the city had planned was not good enough. For example, and during that period of time, the city would submit projects for funding, and um, the ones that didn't get funded would get resubmitted the next year. In other words, they weren't improving projects. They were just churning because the city's going to get its fair share in the state of California. It's the largest city in the state of California. It's going to get a half dozen decent-sized projects approved. Mm-hmm. And so the cycling community kind of um, rose up and said, these are hardly inspired. They're not, they, they don't have a significant benefit to the community. They're just putting things where they fit, not where they belong. Um, and, and, so, and so I think that uh, a lot of the activism was born out of inciting incidents, if you will. I don't think that riding a bike in and of itself, you know, goes hand in glove with, and now I'm an activist because, you know, for, for a lot of folks, Life would be great if they could just ride their bike. You know, we don't think of, um, in many ways, we go about our lives without having to be an activist. You know, uh, when you go to the grocery store, you don't have to scream and yell and say, you know, you need lettuce. No, it's right over there in the produce section. <laughs> you know, we take so much for granted because we live, you know, abundant lives. And it's only, you know, after a cyclist gets run off, run off the road, has their bike stolen, you know, gets killed, 
killed, but that, that, that doesn't turn them into an activist, but the people around them perhaps. Oh, yeah. But um, And there's a role then, I mean, if you think of Danny in Long Beach, and, you know, he's really taken the, the ghost bikes as his project. That's his advocacy, and he keeps that going. Um, there's a, a role or a place for everybody, and I think that the big opportunity for us is um, to the question, where did all the activists go? I don't know. You know, maybe they didn't leave. Maybe they've just transformed, and we don't see, you know, we don't see them at Caltrans or at SCAG or at the LADOT. Um, we don't see them banging away on projects. Perhaps we see them in other places. Um, perhaps they're advocating in a different way, writing stern letters to the editor. I think one of the things that you said <laughs> uh, about Joe Linton counting bikes sort of made me think, you know, that's one of the th- important things now that LACB does. They have these bike counts, and we're counting bikes. I don't know. Did we count bikes before then? And if not, it's sort of like bikes didn't count, but now they're counted. Well, I think that the uh, term cycling matters, which can be taken two ways. Uh, I think that the um, significant opportunity for us is to embed in the science of how we um, engineer our streets uh, effective metrics that include humans. And so it's one thing for us to count them. It's another thing for us to actually change the fact that um, to this day we still set speed limits based on the 85 percentile, which is where we just go and measure the speed of cars and then set the speed limit so that 85 percent of them are uh, traveling legally and the other 15 are in excess of the speed limit. So we're raising and lowering speed limits as we speak throughout the city of L.A. based on that antiquated science of 50 years ago. The other thing is we measure the performance of intersections based on vehicular um, movement. And so that would then need to change, as would the timing of signals. And that's where the science or the, or the formula that engineers are bound to so when we measure the performance of a street, we so don't say how many children crossed or how many, you know, little old ladies, you know, that take a little extra time. So one of the things that we can point to or the thing that we can point to then from what might be called our most recent bike boom is a change in the culture to where we now count little old ladies more than or as much as well, vehicular. We don't. I mean, we should, we will, we can. Um, But I think there's two things here, uh, two takeaways. One is that we need to surround ourselves with, we need to look around us and say, who are the lawyers? Good. And we know who they are, Mm -hmm. oftentimes because we have called them, you know, DJ, Danny Wheels, uh, Thomas Forsyth. um, Joshua Cohen. Joshua Cohen. You know, so so these are folks that have risen to the occasion. You know, Ross Hirsch was here last week. Mm -hmm. You know, deputy... uh, Attorney General, wow. You know, so you've got, we've got significant legal support. I think that we should also take a look at the fact, that's why it was cool to have um, Alex Thompson and Mihai Petu, um, uh, because they were significant talents at grinding data, taking Switter's data, collision data. And, um, and so to carry that forward, who, would, who amongst us are the transportation um, engineer folks that can help us um, translate all of that, uh, you know, mathematical formula approach to engineering in a way that we can advocate and say we think it should be changed into what? 
you know, what's the metric for measuring the performance of a street based on the new gestalt of, uh, you know, active streets or people streets or great streets or shared streets or safe streets or whatever we want to uh, embrace. And the other thing, I th- the other opportunity for us, I think, is to remember that if we're going to count, it's one thing to count, but the second thing is that we should support these things by actually riding them. And, um, you know, uh, Council Member Bonin just released a video about the success of the great streets on the west side. I think that it's kind of a shame that he was standing alone in that video. There should have been hundreds of people like, on bicycles riding that thing relentlessly. Like it was LeBron James. Should have been. Yeah, and supporting that, uh, supporting the LADOT and the council member by saying, you know, this, this street works so well, it's now my favorite street, and you're going to see me on this street with my family, with strangers, with friends, um, but we're going to take this street and demonstrate. So it's one thing to count, but it's another thing to also make sure that we flood uh, uh, projects and people with support Um Oftentimes, just with our presence, just by riding the streets more and more. Yeah, cool. Good talk on a thread that might otherwise have been depressing. I like the way you put it that the advocates may still be there, that always were there, but they've transformed into whatever you said. (laughs) All right. Thanks, Stephen. All right. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for listening to this episode of Bike Talk. If you want to hear more, go to kpfk.org, navigate to programs, and choose Bike Talk. On the Bike Talk page, click on the archives link to play or download shows posted in the last four months. Go to biketalk.com and copy or click on the RSS link to subscribe. Our Twitter handle is BikeTalkPFK. On Facebook, we are Bike Talk. You can become friends and join our group. 